From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. Happy Monday to you, and so glad that you are with us. Today on the program, why would China want to help Russia? We'll ask that question of China expert Gordon Chang a little bit later. The state of Maryland is considering one of the most extreme abortion laws ever. Also, some good news from the state Supreme Court in Texas about their abortion heartbeat law. Finally, at the end of the program, we'll talk to a father who has been fighting in court to prevent his son from being turned into a girl. An important conversation on the heels of D-Trans Awareness Day, which happened last week. Remind you that you can find this program and every program at TonyPerkins.com. Find every show on demand whenever it's convenient for you. The headlines today, a fourth round of peace talks between Ukraine and Russia was scheduled for today, but was put on pause until tomorrow. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky was planning to speak to the Council of Europe today, but did not due to a, quote, urgent and unforeseen circumstance. Of course, in war, there are many of those. Speaking in his place was Ukrainian Prime Minister Denis Shmyl, who's urged the immediate expulsion of Russia from the Council of Europe, noting that Russian forces are behaving like terrorists and that, quote, Ukraine is on fire. We have to be tough in our response. We demand that a decision is approved to immediately oust Russia from the Council of Europe. The ones who definitely support this non-provoked and unjustified aggression cannot stay in the single European family where human life is the highest value. Joining me now to talk about the latest on Russia's invasion of Ukraine is U.S. Representative Glenn Grothman, who's a member of the House Budget Committee, the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and the Committee on Education and Labor. He represents the 6th Congressional District of Wisconsin. Congressman, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, glad to be on the show and uh, look forward to talking about the Global Magnitsky Act. It was uh, something that they snuck in there on the Suspending Energy from Russia Act last week, and it's something all your listeners should know about. Yeah, I do intend to get there uh, very quickly. Just what's your high-level assessment of what we're seeing in Ukraine right now? Well, I think the important thing is people have to realize that eventually this has to end. And uh, we want it to end without that many more people dying. Um, I know there are negotiations going on right now. And I hope the Obama administration is encouraging those negotiations and with both, with both sides have to give something. First of all, we're tired. It's horrible the number of Ukrainian both soldiers and civilians who have died. It's horrible when the, when the Russian soldiers have died. I don't even know if they know why they're there. Um, it's obviously a, a huge catastrophe for the economic situation around the world. And if the thing drags in long enough, Russia may wind up bringing the United States in this thing. So if there's one thing I'd like to add, I don't feel right now the Biden administration is doing enough to encourage this thing to wrap up. And I do want to talk about that. You mentioned in these negotiations that are ongoing, and we, of course, all hope that this can be resolved as quickly as possible. You talk about the importance of everyone on both sides giving something up. Now, Obviously, Russia is the aggressor in this situation. If Ukraine were to concede just for peace, is there any sense in which we would be negotiating with terrorists and rewarding Russia's aggression? Well, I think everybody who I've talked to believes that when this thing wraps up, you know, Russia has conquered a given amount of territory. Um, if you're going to say we are going to demand Russia get nothing in this, 
you may wind up continuing the fight for another eight or nine years. I think this is a, a catastrophe for the Ukraine. I think both in Ukraine and Russia, you have countries that have very small birth rates, a lot of only children, making it especially a horrible thing when these people die. And uh, to, to hold out, which I believe that the Ukrainians themselves are even holding out for something like that, or at least if news reports can be believed, uh, you're just going to wind up having a lot more people die. And obviously, everyone does want to avoid that situation for somebody in the United States sitting back to do. But, you know, it's not our our sons and daughters who are dying. Right. Well, it's terrible for everyone. And and of course, we do want to keep this um, minimize the violence that's happening here. And there I would say most of, of the people we have talked to in Congress for sure, are not in favor of sending troops on the ground there. And there's this hope that this can be de-escalated rather than escalated. But there are competing um, thoughts about what Vladimir Putin is trying to accomplish right now. And there are some who think that the military progress that he has made has been disappointing and that he's looking for an off-ramp. There's others who think that he's trying to escalate this. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, to me, with common sense, when he invaded, he was primarily concerned about Ukraine getting involved in NATO. I don't know if he's concerned about something else, but, you know, Ukraine had never been part of NATO. Uh, and I think that was his concern, concern that if it was part of NATO, American troops would uh, be brought in and be on the bo- another border uh, with the Soviet Union, in addition to the Baltic states. Um, obviously... It, that is something that I think he may demand for pulling his troops back out. But like I said, every day more people are dying. Uh, we don't want to have more people dying. Quite frankly, the more people die, the harder it is for either leader to negotiate a settlement down the road. And the more likely you have not American troops involved in there, but maybe Russia decides to go after the American economy, maybe going after our our, uh, our grid, maybe going after satellites that so much of our gadgets are dependent upon. Whatever it is, um, it would be good if this war ended before that sort of thing happened. And I'm not sure everybody realizes that. Now, I want to switch topics a bit, and you tease this a little bit, because there are there are political developments, of course, in the United States playing out as we monitor this international crisis. The aid package that the Congress has passed, or the, the, the I'm sorry, not the aid package, but the Suspension of Energy Imports from Russia Act, contained some language that got slipped in there. Tell us about what your concerns with that are should be of great concern to all of your Christian listeners. What was put in that bill was they updated something called the Global Magnitsky Act. And that was an act that passed about 10 years ago that said the U.S. government could go after people who are violating human rights, take their property in the United States, deny them a visa to get in the United States. But they dramatically changed the law. Right now, that law, it defines what a human rights abuse is. Is it murder? Is it kidnapping? That sort of thing. Bad stuff. They're changing the law to be open-ended, just saying serious human rights abuses. Okay, now what is a serious human rights abuse to the Obama administration? It means we can go after people in foreign countries who are responsible for keeping abortion illegal. It means we can go after people who are maybe not in favor of pushing the uh, LGBT agenda to to school children. Uh, Do we in the United States want to be able to use our tremendous wealth that we've been given to weigh in on people who in other countries are opposed to abortion? The bishop of the Dominican Republic has claimed that legislators in the Dominican Republic have been threatened by the United States threatened by the United States um, if they uh, make abortion, um, if they don't make abortion illegal, that they could take their visas, which is one of the things that's available under this act. I think horrible if the United States wound up telling African or Latin American countries or countries in Eastern Europe that we're going to use our financial weight to force you to adapt an LGBT agenda or a pro-abortion agenda. We're speaking to Congressman Glenn Groffman. And Congressman, was there any debate on the floor 
that would allow us to understand what the intention was behind this significant change in definitions? There was debate. Unfortunately, not a lot of people voted no because it was the bill designed to cut off uh, purchasing of Russian energy, and the Republicans were going to lose anyway, no matter what happened. But it was brought up at the time. I don't think it received enough attention because it was one of these things that was added to this bill at the last minute. You know, did the proponents of the new language, I'm sorry, did the proponents of the new language have a chance to explain why they wanted this change? No, no, no. It was just put in there. You got to remember, there was a compromise reached out between Republicans and Democrats on the bill. And then the Biden administration weighed in on this thing. And when you look at the Biden administration, when they talk about human rights, what do they talk about? Two things, abortions, LGBTQ. Right. And they they could have left it where it is now, you know, kidnapping, murder, serious crimes. They didn't leave it that way. We know why they didn't leave it that way, right? And already foreign countries have complained in the past, both in the Obama administration and Biden administration uh, countries, the United States kind of opposed to their Christian heritage. And we don't want the United States to fighting uh, to be fighting other countries' Christian heritage. Do we, Joseph? Well, we agree with that. And we do know that the Biden administration has been willing to use the weight of the federal government to punish people who are simply uh, who have different convictions about some significant issues. Now, final question. An ABC poll found that 70 percent of Americans disapprove of Biden's handling of gas prices and 70 percent disapprove of his handling of inflation. The Biden administration is trying to push back on this. Here's what President Biden had to say at the Democratic Caucus Issues Conference in Philadelphia. From the moment he put his over 150,000 troops on the Ukrainian border, the price of gasoline in January went up 75 cents. And Putin began amassing troops along the border. And guess what? The world took notice. And those of you who work in the business know that the market anticipated. Prices went up more. And then Putin invaded. Make no mistake, inflation is largely the fault of Putin. Congressman Grothman, is uh, inflation Putin's fault? That's absurd. People have been saying inflation will go through the roof for the last year and a half, and it was going through the roof. That's what happens when you keep printing money uh, on the printing press when the Federal Reserve is financing all this new spending. The price of gas is, was up dramatically already a month ago. The price of metals, the price of food, the price of cars, the price of housing, everything was up a month ago. Joe Biden. And the reason it's up is the Federal Reserve keeps printing money that we don't have. You should have learned that in middle school, Joe. In about 30 seconds, do you think the price of fuel already accounts for the Russia, the action that we're seeing in Russia and the boycott of Russian energy? Or do you expect prices to continue to rise? It'll rise. But I want to emphasize to your listeners, it's just not fuel that's going on. It's the cost of housing. It's the cost of fuel. Anything with metals in it. They were going up before. And I have a lot of manufacturing in my district. I talk to people. It's not unusual. They have a three or 400% increase in the cost of some metals that goes into uh, things that we manufacture here in the United States. If that metal is going up for three or 400%, I'll tell you, inflation is going to go up a lot more than eight or 9%. And Congressman that was Glenn Grothman, thank you so much. Thank you Thanks. so much for being with us. Coming up after the break, is China going to help Russia? The relationship between China, the impact that this is going to have, this Russian invasion of Ukraine will have on China's decision to have some aggression of their own in the future. What is the impact? That's the conversation we're going to have when we come back. Stay with us. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. 
Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Glad that you are with us. A great conversation with Congressman Grothman in the last segment about what is happening not only in Ukraine and Russia, but how it affects the politics here domestically. And we made mention of the fact that legislation passed to stop buying energy from Russia had language slipped into it that would make it much easier for the United States government to punish people who live overseas for simply have a different for simply having a different opinion about cultural issues like LGBT issues or abortion. Would the federal government be allowed to seize property, seize assets in the United States because they didn't like the political beliefs of someone who lived overseas? That's the concern, and those are the kind of issues that we are always monitoring. But there's another issue that we've been monitoring at Family Research Council over the last several weeks and months, and the Violence Against Women Act, which had some very dangerous Religious freedom implications embedded in it. We just want to thank you and let you know that 70,000 people took action through our campaign to let Congress know that this is not the kind of legislation that we want. This is not what we want Congress to be doing on our behalf. And just know and understand that that makes a difference in Washington, D.C. Your voice is being heard. Now, as we continue our conversation about Ukraine and Russia, as temperatures warm in Ukraine, Russian forces may find themselves literally stuck in the mud and not just being slowed down by fierce resistance from Ukrainian forces. Perhaps for this reason, Russia has been intensifying its offensive in Ukraine while also continuing ceasefire talks, which negotiators from both sides say have been making progress which results possibly materializing in the coming days. Now, as it continues to lose momentum, Russia is reportedly asking China for military support and economic assistance, something that U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said will result in consequences. I'm not going to sit here publicly and, and brandish threats, but what I will tell you is that we are communicating directly, privately to Beijing that there will absolutely be consequences for 
large-scale sanctions, evasion efforts, or support uh, to Russia to backfill them. Will talking tough to Beijing in private stop the Chinese Communist Party from coming to the aid of their most strategic partner? Here with me to talk about this is China expert Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and The Great U.S.-China Tech War. He can be found on Twitter at, at Gordon C. Chang. Gordon, good to see you. Thank you so much, Joseph. Is China going to help Russia? It already is helping Russia. Um, there have been all these commodity purchases, oil, gas, wheat, coal. Um, China is making its financial system available to Russian institutions that have been cut off of SWIFT in their dollar accounts. China's diplomats are working overtime to help Putin. And China's propaganda machine is, is propagating these absurd and ludicrous notions that Russia has been putting out. So, yes, um, Beijing has been all in, and we should be treating it as a combatant, because it is. Why are they helping Russia? Because Xi Jinping uh, sees the United States as its enemy. It, I think that Xi Jinping made an assessment that uh, Vladimir Putin would be able to win, and so therefore take down the international order, um, cut the United States down to size. Now, uh, C, I think, made a strategic miscalculation there. But um, it, the reason why he did it was because um, he wants to destroy our society. I mean, it's been very clear. Xi Jinping is pushing the notion that China is the world's only legitimate state. So anything that goes after the United States, which is the main impediment to Xi's visions of victory, um, are, um, you know, good. So that's the reason why he's going after us and helping Putin. China is not ignoring the international conflict and the speculation about its relationship with Russia. Here's what Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi had to say about the relationship between China and Russia. Let's play clip four. No matter how precarious and challenging the international situation may be, China and Russia will maintain strategic focus and steadily advance our comprehensive strategic partnership of coordination for a new era. Gordon, what do you think that means? It means China's going to continue to support Russia no matter what. Now, Jake Sullivan, when he issues threats, um, those threats, um, I, I don't know whether Sullivan is, is believes them or not, but I don't think that China does. Because China's heard American foreign policy officials, even American presidents, make threats and not carry through. So the calculus in Beijing, I'm about 99.999% sure, is that uh, Sullivan is just bloviating. Um, now, that's not to say that uh, the Chinese are right. I think that they could very well be wrong. Um, but unfortunately, we have taught Beijing to ignore what we say. Now, Gordon, there are many who have expressed surprise at the international community's swift and virtually unanimous reaction to Russia. We also think that China has been side-eyeing Taiwan for a long time and is looking at this situation to assess how they might invade Taiwan. What do you think is happening there? Is China learning anything? Is anything about this situation going to serve as a deterrent to their future aggressions? I think that there are three or four things that they've learned. One of them is that this was the biggest failure of deterrence in baby American history. Um, we're far stronger than Russia. Uh, our economy, Europe's, Britain's, 25 times, more than 25 times larger than Russia's, Russia invaded anyway. I do think that uh, China was taken a little bit aback by the swift response after the invasion started. And Biden, to his credit, has been able to rally um, our friends and partners. Um, China learned two other things. One of them is that um, the, Ukra the Ukrainian people um, rallied and were able to stop a far stronger power. So Taiwan's people um, probably can uh, make life extremely difficult for China's invading forces. Plus one other thing. Um, Joe Biden has obviously been impressed by Vladimir Putin's uh, threats to use his most destructive weapons. So um, China is threatening, you know, to incinerate everybody else in the neighborhood because they see that uh, with Russia, it works as well. The Biden administration is threatening sanctions against China simply for helping Russia in about 30 seconds. Is there anything they could do that would actually stop it? Yes. Cut every Chinese institution off of SWIFT, freeze all of their dollar accounts. The Chinese economy falls. The Communist Party goes with it. 
Gordon Chang, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Joseph. When we come back, the Texas Supreme Court delivers a major blow to abortion providers and the abortion industry. What was the ruling? What does it mean for the Lone Star State? We'll talk about it when we come back. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. Thrilled that you are with us this Monday. Now, on Friday of last week, the Texas Supreme Court delivered a blow to abortion providers and pro-abortion activists, issuing a decision that effectively shut down the federal challenge to the Texas Heartbeat Act, SB 8, which bans nearly all abortions after the sixth week of pregnancy when a fetal heartbeat is present. The lead lawyer on the challenge reportedly said the ruling effectively wipes out the lawsuit and leaves no end in sight for the Texas law. The Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton declared it a major victory. So is the Texas Heartbeat Act in the clear? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Mary Zock, Director of FRC's Center for Human Dignity. Mary, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Joseph. Good to see you. Now, I want to talk about the Texas Heartbeat Bill, but before we get there, you testified in Maryland on legislation that has been described as some of the most extreme pro-abortion legislation in U.S. history. Tell us about that bill. Well, Maryland has a host of pro-abortion and pro-life legislation that's going through, and hopefully some of it will be stopped this session. The bill specifically that you're referring to, Joseph, is an attempt to, to make the quote-unquote right to reproductive liberty, which is uh, an, an unlimited uh, quote-unquote right to an abortion, uh, to make that part of the Maryland state constitution, to, to propose that this be added to the ballot in November, um, and that, that the people of Maryland be able to vote on this. Um, this this would enshrine in the Maryland Constitution abortion through nine months of pregnancy. Right now, when we talk about the United States being United States laws on abortion being on par with those of North Korea and China, we're talking about the state of Maryland. We're talking about several other states too, unfortunately, but Maryland in particular. And with this latest effort to place that in the Maryland state constitution. Uh, we, we have a lot of work to do to defend the child in the womb. Mary, is this legislation a response to the Dobbs case and the thought that 
Roe versus Wade could be overturned this year? Well, we've seen this legislation tried in years past. Um, you know, to whenever right before COVID started, we saw this legislation introduced. It's hard to keep track of which legislative session that is. Um, but but fortunately, the the legislation did not pass at that point. And I think that Maryland is certainly gearing up for a decision in Dobbs um, that that the legislators there who who are pro-abortion believe will neg will will impact their state. Um, as I said before, Maryland allows abortion through nine months of pregnancy. Fortunately, one of the abortionists in Maryland, Leroy Carhart, who has has ended the lives of countless unborn babies in the third trimester of pregnancy and named several women, he is no longer performing late-term abortions there. So that is a victory for the pro-life movement. Um, but Maryland law, the law still allows this to happen. And, and this is an effort to allow Maryland to continue to do that long after Roe is overturned. Now, Mary, in contrast to Maryland and its legislative attempts to move to the left on this issue, the state of Texas has been moving the opposite direction. A lot of headline, a lot of ink spilled about its heartbeat bill, a significant decision out of the state Supreme Court on Friday. Tell us about that. Well, the state Supreme Court said that that state officials are not a party that enforces the Texas Heartbeat Act. And this means that Planned Parenthood essentially has no one to sue over the Texas Heartbeat Act. Uh, so the law will stay in place. The people of Texas will be allowed to protect their littlest neighbors in the womb. And this is a great day for the pro-life movement. It's, it's estimated that 100 unborn babies every day are saved by the Texas Heartbeat Act. And we won't know the, the exact impact of that legislation until we see the, the, the number of babies that are actually born. Um, and that, that obviously won't come out for a few months now. Um, but we do know that, that abortion numbers in Texas have decreased by over 50%. So this is a huge win for the pro-life movement in Texas. That is a huge win, and that is exactly why so many people work on the ground. That's why they run for office. It's why they vote, is, is to see success like that, where the application of, of public policy is saving lives, because ideas have consequences, bad ideas have victims. In this case, good ideas help save victims. And so that is, it is great news. Do you have any sense that this... Texas strategy, this heartbeat bill, which has been uh, attacked a lot in court, but so far unsuccessfully, are other states picking up on this as a model? Several other states are picking up on this as a model. I think, though, Joseph, we'll see a transition to other forms of legislation if and hoping and praying that the Supreme Court does overturn Roe. Uh, after we see that, that ruling come out, I think that we'll see more states enact legislation uh, that that can under the current uh, um, under the current Supreme Court ruling protect life in the womb until that time we'll we'll see states continue to try everything possible to defend life in the womb and that includes enacting mechanisms like the Texas Heartbeat Act and we will continue to monitor that and Mary we are thankful to you not only for uh, tracking what's going on in Texas but jumping into the fray in Maryland as well, and all that you and your team do. God bless you. Thanks for your time today. Thanks so much for having me on, Joseph. Coming up after the break, we're going to continue to follow uh, some state-level issues, but we're going to talk a little bit about Trans Awareness Day that was recognized last week and the impact that it's having not just on public policy, not just on swim teams and women's sports, but very specifically with parents. We're going to talk to a parent who's been in court to protect his son from being turned into a girl. That story when we come back here on Washington Watch. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, 
and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students, are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side -side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph back home, sitting in for Tony today. The debate over transgenderism isn't simply a debate about fairness in women's sports and safety in locker rooms. For many parents, it's a conversation about their children's future. Brenton Nets is one such parent. He's the father of a 12-year-old boy with autism who was treated by a therapist who, Net says, manipulated his son to believe he is a transgender girl and a lesbian. Only through swift legal action was Nets able to block his son's mother and medical authorities from moving forward with irreversible hormone treatments and eventually surgical interventions that would mutilate his son's body. Fortunately, Nets' case was successful, and he is, currently has co-custody as well as biweekly visitation with his son. And Brent Nets joins us now to discuss his situation and parental rights when dealing with the issues of gender confusion in children. Brenton, welcome back to the program. Oh, hi, Joseph. Good to see you. Good it, to see you it's again. good to see you. Thanks for taking some time uh, to tell your story. And, and first, I want to get into some of these details, but I, I introed a little bit about what your journey is. How are you and your son doing now, kind of on the back end of some of this legal challenges? Yeah, well, him and I are doing really good. Our, our our relationship is growing and we're bonding and it's, you know, things between him and I are, are getting better all the time. He's still having a lot of trouble in school and, you know, it's the same old kind of stuff going on otherwise, but him and I are getting along really good now. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. You do have a very different perspective on this national conversation than so many others for whom it's theoretical. We're talking about other people, there's safety concerns, but it's, it's not quite as personal. What is your perspective, given your experience on the national conversation around transgenderism that so many other people are having? Yeah, that's, you're right. It's very personal. It's, you know, I, I feel like I feel like a lot of people are waking up. You know, I have been fighting this for over two years now, and and I, I can tell you that we've made a lot of progress. There, there is a lot more people that I've seen in my own life and just paying attention to this issue more than probably the average person does. 
And I, I think we're, you know, gaining ground. I think there's a lot of awareness that's, that's spreading um, people that, you know, just a year or two ago that I know, you know, never even heard, you know, what, what's transgenderism, what's a trans kid. Now they, they're beginning to understand the subject and, the, and they're usually not for it. So I do feel like, you know, on a national level, if you want to call it that, we are, you know, we're, we're, ma- we're really breaking ground. I'm glad to hear that you feel like progress is being made, but some of the conversations about this issue hasn't been helpful. And you've talked about the impact that therapists, for example, have had on your son's life. Tell us about, from your perspective, how outside voices have affected the way your son views himself. Yeah, well, you know, he's so he's autistic, as you mentioned, you know, he's he's been uh, diagnosed with autism officially since he was four years old. And, you know, people that aren't, you know, entwined in this to the level that that I am, unfortunately, you know, don't realize that it it's like it's a, it's a, they're in lockstep. The schools are in lockstep. The the medical system, you know, the the media, of course, it's like they're they're in a way attacking our kids on all fronts. You know, just today I had a. Um, a Zoom meeting with with Miles's teachers at his school because he's having a hard time at school, and just right off the bat, you know, they're calling him Miley, they're calling him a she, they're calling him a them and a there and a they, and I keep correcting them and asking them to use at least gender neutral pronouns, and they begrudgingly will do it, but then you know a minute later they're just going right back into the she's and stuff. So, you know, this really is a big cult, and if and I've found that I'm you know fighting. Uh, you know, it's it's me against a lot of other people, a lot of other adults that are influencing my son's life. And it's very frustrating. Now, it's interesting if the legal outcome has been favorable and this transition is not taking place. Why are you facing that kind of behavior from his teachers? Well, in my case, it's you know, similar to, I always have, you know, I bring up Jeff Younger in Texas a lot because people know his case, the Save James case, and it, there is a lot of similarities uh, between our, our situations. And it really comes down to my situation as a parent is is very much complicated by the fact that my son's mother is on the other side of this, let's call it debate or worldview. She's, you know, she's a cult member. She's in it hook, line, and sinker. Um, and and when that's the case, when there's like two parents that are on either side of the the battle, so to speak, um, it it just compounds the it compounds it uh, tenfold. That makes a lot of sense, and it's got to be hard on your son to be getting different perspectives, different takes, different input from his parents. How is he processing that? Well. You know, he when he's with me, this is what I'll say. When he's with me, the the Miley stuff doesn't exist. He doesn't insist on any of this. It's it's as if it doesn't exist for the most part. Every once in a while, he'll get upset with me, and he might try to use it as a little manipulative tool. But it doesn't last very long, and it, it's it really just comes down to you know, I you know I, I don't fully understand it. His his he's autistic, and they autistic people tend to be obsessive and when they get their mind on something, it's really hard to get off of it. And his mother just really drives it home. I mean, like she can't go 10 seconds without calling him Miley and calling him a she. And it's just like, you know, it's just this constant reinforcement. And so when he's with me, you know, it goes away. And and I do feel like there is kind of a reprieve or a relief for him. And I'm going to continue to do so, you know, he's 12 and, I'm just going to hang in there. Puberty is going to kick in soon, and and I'm hoping that uh, that will work in my favor. And we know statistically that it does, and and thankfully, children who experience gender dysphoria, whether as a function of a social contagion or just a, a legitimate medical issue, the supermajority, once they go through puberty, that desists, and we certainly hope and pray that's going to happen in your situation as well, Brenton. Now, last question. There are Likely our parents listening, watching today, or grandparents who might be in a similar situation, what would you tell them? Well, okay, I would just say, I mean, there's a lot I could say, more than we could probably get to here, obviously, but I would just say, you know, be aware, this is everywhere. Uh, this, it's in the schools, it's, it's, you know, it's online, it's, it's in, you know, cartoons and media, 
Um, it's in the medical system. There is a there is a coordinated attack on our children. And if your child is autistic or other, you know, uh, emotional issues, um, you know, mental health issues like my son legitimately has, they are wide open to this stuff. And um, I would just say you just cannot be too careful. If I had to do it all over again, I would there would be a lot of things I would do differently, but I would I would not have my son interact with these institutions. I would homeschool him. I'd be very careful with everyone that any adult that has influence in his life, because it, it just seems to be everywhere. Well, Brenton Nets, we applaud your courage and you've fought a hard, difficult battle in a difficult climate. And a lot of people have caved to less pressure and we applaud you and stand with you in your defense of your son. And thank you so much for your time today. No, oh, thank you, Joseph. Thank anytime. God bless you. Now, to continue this conversation, this past Saturday, March 12th, marked D-Trans Awareness Day. It was an advocacy and advocacy groups, individuals who suffered the pain and misdiagnosis of the harms of transgender psychology procedures gathered around the country to raise awareness of their stories and about the lack of appropriate treatment options for those who struggled with accepting their biological sex. Sadly, those who have identified as transgender have shown higher rates of childhood psychological, sexual, and emotional abuse than the general population. To make things worse, the vast majority of professional groups have not advocated for treatment options that address the issues that are frequently found in tandem with gender dysphoria. And joining me now to discuss all of this is Dr. Jennifer Bowens, who's the director of the Center for Family Studies here at FRC. Dr. Bowens, Hi, welcome back to the show. It's good to be back with you. Now, you heard the conversation we had there with Brenton Nets. He described a situation where his son has autism, and he thinks that is relevant to the experience that he's had with gender dysphoria and just kind of what life has been uh, to this point. How common is it that young people who experience gender dysphoria are also dealing with something else? Yeah, and well, the truth of the matter is we don't know for sure what the numbers are because uh, there's such a suppression on research that has anything to do, that's, or anything that's contrary to the um, mainstream transgender uh, line. So what we do know, what we see um, often, and some of the, a little bit of data that we're starting to pop up here and there, is that um, it's really common for children to be diagnosed autistic. The rates of sexual abuse uh, are much higher, especially amongst the transgender population, but certainly amongst the LGB population as well. Um, and then we also have this whole experience of the social contagion and how much, um, and Brenton mentioned this earlier, how, how much um, social media comes to play or the school ideology comes to play in some of these kids' decisions to um, decide that they're, they're transgender. So as an academic, what's your reaction to March 12th, this D-Trans Day? It's a, it's a new concept, but it's telling very different stories. Much of the LGBT political lobby has made their progress by telling their stories, as they would say, speaking their truth. But this is a different story, and it's a different version of the truth. What's your reaction? I, I'm really thankful for this day. Because one of the reasons that I got into the field of psychology was to fight for those who didn't have a voice or fight for those who um, were, you know, quote unquote, underprivileged in some way. Um, I've worked in the foster care system and I've, I've worked with folks who've, who've really um, had a hard way uh, to go. And I've been proud to be a part of a profession that is aimed at helping those who, who didn't have a voice. And so here you see the detransitioner population, and they have been suppressed by the very people who kind of took an oath that they were going to help those who didn't have a voice. So I'm, I'm excited to see that there are people who are saying we're going to stand up for this population, that people do exist amongst um, this population, that that there are folks who um, who have been pushed down and their voices ignored, 
and that they've actually been ignored by other um, supposed transgender advocacy groups that are doing anything but advocating for this, this group of people. There are communities that are developing, and many of them can be found online, thousands of people telling these stories about detransitioning. From your research and maybe even anecdotes in your conversations, are there themes in, in these stories that are, that, that are similar to what these people, their life experience has been? Yes. Uh, I mean, certainly you see a, a large swath of people who, who've experienced abuse. I mean, that's the, the common theme. Um, but, but some of the other uh, commonalities that you see, and this is from a recent study from Lisa Lippman, um, and of course it's not a huge study because, again, there's not a lot of research money out there to investigate this topic, but um, some of that data shows that almost 60% of the people felt, um, or sorry, 40% of the people felt pressure from their mental health or health care provider to trans um, or go through those types of procedures. And another 40% said um, uh, that they had an experience of trauma the year before they were advised to transition. So uh, the bottom line is that there are a whole host of other issues that haven't been properly assessed. And in fact, in that study, I believe it was about 57% who said that they weren't adequately evaluated and their um, other mental health conditions weren't properly assessed that were later, as they detransitioned, discovered that those were the actual root causes. So... um, Yes, there there are some commonalities, and when we look at those commonalities, it's not good for these medical procedures. Um, they're they're not beneficial. Dr. Bounds, are there also commonalities that lead people to make the decision to detransition? Well, I th- I think one of the themes that we saw, we see in the Lisa Lippman study is that people start realizing that um, their uh, quote-unquote gender dysphoria was actually due to other things. And um, so I actually I'm reminded of a story that I heard where this young woman decided to go through all of the transgender procedures, and she's, she said, I checked off all these boxes, and at the end of going through all of these procedures, I was left with my childhood abuse. So we're really not doing these people a service by sort of delaying the treatment of what the real issue is. So if if you are someone who's facing this or know someone who's facing it, just remember that this does not solve the problem. It only prolongs uh, dealing with the root issue. And that is a really important point because we all want the same thing for these people who struggle with this. We want them to find peace and joy and purpose and meaning. We ultimately want them to find out the reason God made them and the purpose he has for their life. And there's there's one school of thought that says, look to the way you've been created for insight into your purpose and, and what God's plan for you is. And there's others that would say, the way you've been created is meaningless. Look inside yourself, look to your brain. And obviously, those are different approaches that are, of course, leading to different results. But Dr. Bowens, we appreciate your your care and your scholarship and your help for those who are looking for it. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Friends, we thank you as well for being with us today. That is our program. Tony will be back with you here on Washington Watch. Continue to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And remember, fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next time here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 